And it's live. So it is. Hello, mate. How are you doing? I am well. I'm well. I'm ready for another round of intro banter. <laughs> so um, it won't be clear to listeners because you'll be picking this up fresh, but we've had several rehearsals of this beginning. Quick fun update. Uh, we got a new microphone and that's, that's a good thing, except that <laughs> we've had to do a lot of various different sound testings. So... Jake plugged his headsets into his microphone and we recorded half an episode, is what he means. Yeah, yeah. It's not quite as bad as forgetting to click record, but it's in the same category of mess ups. It's nice that we got a microphone. Yeah, and, and meaning this to sound grateful rather than smug, uh, but it's really cool that we have enough listeners to justify getting some proper kit for this podcast. Because when we started out, we were super cheap about it and just recording conversations on Zoom and spending zero money. You know, you say in the beginning, it's like starting out, we're only three episodes in, but yeah. I think we're <laughs> in terms of listenership based on the stats that we can see and have been finding online, we're in the top 20% of podcasts in the world. Shout out to whoever's listening to us from Albania. From yeah. from you love to uh, see it one dude in norway awesome so hi everybody i'm jacob i'm anthony and welcome to the third episode of the morality of everyday things on this podcast we consider issues or questions that touch our everyday lives such as is it okay for companies to take moral positions or in today's episode should you share hashtag blackout tuesday jake and i are longtime friends business partners we we actually met at university we were literal roommates for two or three years how crazy is that Having studied, you know, a mix of politics, economics, philosophy, and uh, business management, you know, we, we'd often waste our lunch times discussing stuff, you know, thinking we're, oh, so very bright for disagreeing with the prevailing norms. And we figured, you know, rather than writing articles on Medium, we'd make a podcast to share. Not so much to share our views, but I think the idea is to more think about, like, frameworks for approaching questions as opposed to what the correct answer is or should be. Yeah. And, and the wonderful thing is we do also have some articles and medium you're welcome to check out. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we still think we are so clever for running against the prevailing norms. <laughs> Things haven't changed as much as I like to pretend. <laughs> uh, anyways, let's dive into today's show. Should you share hashtag Blackout Tuesday? Should you have shared it? Um, now, just quickly, before we get into this, normally what we like to do is unpack the question. But today we thought we'd flip things around a little bit. It's probably more useful to provide some real world context on this issue first before we unpack the question. Obviously, if you're already familiar with the work of the Black Lives Matters movement, the history of Blackout Tuesday and the concept of systemic racism. Do you know what? Feel free to skip ahead five minutes to the next section. If you aren't super familiar or you just want to listen to more of us talking, we'll try and keep the section very brief. Maybe if you know, you're listening to this in the future or you've been self-isolating under a massive rock for the last month, this will be good background to what we're saying. The largest of rocks. The largest of rocks. Um, now, in asking the question, should you share, we should make it clear that we are taking it as axiomatic that in general, Black Lives Matter is a good movement and racism in all its forms is a bad thing. So the act of debating this issue is not meant to give credence to racist views. We do think that the issue of Blackout Tuesday specifically is a really interesting one with arguments on both sides. So if you are expecting one of the reasons to be don't share because you don't care or you harbor racist views, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast, but stick around. We'd love to try and talk you around. And also just, just on that point quickly, we said it's axiomatic that Black Lives Matter is a good movement. We mean that as in, in principle, like it's an anti-racist movement and that's you know, kind of a good thing. 
it's a big diverse movement asking for a lot of different things we're not saying that everything anyone does saying they represent the movement is good or that uh, mm -hmm. everything they're for is reasonable or correct is you know by and large trying to push for less racism is a good thing So first up, what is Black Lives Matter? I'm sure you're all familiar with this, but Black Lives Matter is an organized movement advocating for nonviolent civil disobedience in protest against incidents of police brutality against African-American people. It started back in 2012 when George Zimmerman shot African-American teenager Trayvon Martin. A year later, he was acquitted, and that's when the hashtag Black Lives Matter movement began on social media. It garnered more national recognition for street demonstrations following the deaths of two more African-Americans, Michael Brown and Eric Garner, but this year it reached a whole new level. It got international attention following the death of George Floyd by police officer Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I think it's fair to say now it's more of just a general anti-racism movement, which is why it's spread to other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Now, what is Blackout Tuesday, the second part of this? So Blackout Tuesday was a specific collective call to action against racism. Uh, it originated within the music industry. It was in response to the murders of George Floyd, but also Ahmed Arbery and Breonna Taylor. It took place on Tuesday, June the 2nd, 2020. So a month ago from the time of recording this podcast. And in essence, the guys who organized it wanted people to share a black square with the hashtag Blackout Tuesday and fill social media feeds with this simple image of a black square in solidarity against racism. And then the third thing to discuss here quickly is what is systemic or structural racism? And we should make clear when you talk about systemic or structural racism, this is a big and very nuanced issue and there are far better writings about it than what we're going to discuss here. But just to give you a brief overview, we're not talking so much about hate crimes or really explicit cases of mistreatment. You know, those are the kind of things that are obviously racist. Structural racism is more institutional. To give you a brief definition, it describes a system in which public policies, institutional practices, cultural representations, and other norms work in various, often reinforcing ways to perpetuate racial group inequality. So it's not something that people necessarily choose to practice, but it becomes a feature of social, economic, and political systems nevertheless. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's interesting. We'll, we'll quickly discuss a study here to kind of highlight this point. I think the overarching point that anyone can kind of get and agree with is that unless you are a racist eugenicist, that is that you think that different races are genuinely better than others, there's no real justification to the fact that certain ethnic minorities are massively and consistently overrepresented in um, lower economic strata, i.e. they're disproportionately poor. So, you know, for example, it, when you hear a stat that says like, you know, X percentage of people in prisons are black, which is, you know, totally disproportionate with the number of black people in society, you know, a racist interpretation might be that, oh, um, that's because they're more inclined to commit crimes. That's a, a view that we do not agree with and it's not even worth engaging with. But yeah, basically structural racism would be something, an argument, something along the lines of it's because they're consistently in more difficult situations because public policy hasn't been effective in helping them, um, but also other, other poor people in uh, helping them kind of get out of situations where crime is a rational response to their surroundings. Yeah, here's a little uh, experiment that was done uh, that I read about in The Logic of Life by Tim Harford. It was by a professor called Roland Fryer, and it just kind of highlights how totally arbitrary structural influences can end up kind of keeping a group down. So in this study, they take a classroom, they take a small number and say that they become a company trying to hire the best candidates possible. 
and they split the room into two. They split them into purples and greens. And every purple and green is given a card. And on the back of the card, secret, is a productivity number. Mm-hmm. And the point is, obviously, the hiring company uh, has to pay a hiring cost to find out the productivity number on someone's card. And the different groups can invest to, uh, in education to improve their productivity, right? That's some personal cost to them. So they start out, you know, they, they've done this experiment many different ways. They can start out randomly, uh, you know, having the same distribution. They can have slightly different distributions between the groups. Sometimes they'll enforce one group to have a lower productivity than the other one. What happens is essentially when a group forms a reputation for having a lower productivity, it becomes rational for the companies to disproportionately interview members of the group that has the reputation for the higher productivity, right? Mm-hmm. This then creates kind of negative feedback loop whereby if you're from, say, the purples and the purples are less likely to get interviewed, then you're less likely to invest in education. In this case, remember that that's a feature where you pay to improve your productivity mm-hmm. um, because obviously the, the chance of that translating into being hired is, is lower for you. And this is just like a negative feedback loop. And, mm-hmm. and we can see that for something totally arbitrary, purples and greens, it's become statistically viable, rationally correct to choose one group over another for a totally arbitrary reason that, you know, generally we'd say in the midterm shouldn't affect productivity. But it becomes systemic and rational and non-prejudicial. So in essence, what you're saying is... Um that these statistical biases can emerge and these are nothing to do with prejudice. It's just a kind of correlation effect. But because they occur, you, you get this kind of negative feedback loop and then it gets really hard to break out of this. Yep. It, I mean, it, it becomes less rational to invest in your own education in that circumstance. And, and then I guess like what that suggests in practice is that you do need proactive policy responses that help improve social mobility, improve education. That's something that we'll come to. Now, if you've skipped ahead, uh, this is the right point to start playing. We've just given a brief history of Black Lives Matter, Blackout Tuesday, and structural racism as a concept. Now, let's unpack today's question, which as a reminder is, should you share hashtag Blackout Tuesday? And do you want to unpack this question for us? Yeah, so just a quick reminder for in case this is your first episode, it's always important to carefully think about any philosophical question, what it really means, what it's pointing at, what's the quote unquote real question. And also sometimes to kind of abstract away from distracting context that has like, you know, strong emotional connotations. So I think in the case of Blackout Tuesday, it might be helpful to rephrase it uh, to kind of get away from that baggage as a phenomenon whereby people were encouraged to propagate a viral post on social media in the interest of a good cause. So we'll back away from what the specific cause is so if you're being asked to post something on, on the internet in the interest of good cause, I think there's a couple, couple questions that might pop up. Do your motives matter to the moral worth of your action? In other words, uh, and touching on something from the previous episode, yeah, hashtag listen to episode two. I don't think that hashtag is going to trend. Um, <laughs> can you, can you, the question is, can you be doing the right thing if you're doing it for the wrong reasons? I think it seems kind of foreseeable, dare I say predictable, that a uh, if something's an Instagram trend, then you might want to question whether the moral substance of, of whatever the message is, is really the primary concern for a lot of people. I mean, remember, this is, you know, Instagram is a feeding frenzy of, of advertisers and, mm. and, and personal properties, you know, building your own brand, building a company brand, etc. And the reason this is interesting is because on an intuitive level, it does seem to feel like it dilutes moral value if you're doing things for the wrong reason. Right. Mm-hmm. 
explore a couple of examples of that later. But um, you know, the real reasons could be totally inane. You haven't even thought about the issue. You're just doing it because your mates are doing it. Groupthink. They they could even be malicious. You know, like as we mentioned earlier, feeding frenzy of advertisers. It's a good opportunity to cash in to build brand, but you don't actually care about the topic at hand. And then also, obviously, with anything on social media now, especially something disruptive, there's the risk that uh, foreign powers are trying to use it to destabilize societies in the West. Dun, dun. Big one. Um, okay, I think that's that's the first thing. And then the second thing that was interesting that I think, I don't think it's fair to say that this introduced this dichotomy, but it, I think it's fair to say that it popularized it. Or certainly there are a lot of posts explaining why you should do Blackout Tuesday that kind of use this dichotomy. And it was a discussion of racist versus anti-racist. Um, mm. And yeah, the implication was that doing nothing was obviously not as bad as being actively racist, but it was still wrong. Do you know what? I mean, I may be misinterpreting it, but it, it, it seemed to me as if that sort of racism, the anti-racism dichotomy was pushing people I- I- into saying, you know, doing nothing is actually tantamount to being okay with racist outcomes, right? Like, yeah, if you're, I, unless I mean, you're anti-racist, you are by default being racist in this circumstance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, yeah, that's fair to say. And it's one of those moral positions, a bit like abortion versus anti-abortion, where like the question isn't, you know, doing X or doing Y, and there's an alternative where you just kind of don't interact. You, you know, you have to interact with it. Mm. Um, you have to take a stance one way or another. I think that's the point of this whole anti-race, because, in, you know, in the case of Blackout Tuesday, their point is not sharing is a choice. It's not like, it's not a case of like, you can do X, you can do Y, or you can stay out of it. Uh, staying out of it is is the the why to the x of doing something i think there's merit to this i think it's interesting but the introduction of the necessity to be anti-racist as you've described i think stokes some resentment i think people firstly don't like being told that they must do things as a result some number of people probably felt something along the lines of you know i'm not actively racist and all the issues that this kind of relates to totally predate me why am i obliged to not just not be racist but to to actively fight racism uh, we'll come to some examples that kind of explain this from our perspective. But overall, the point is to ask for help is a very different proposition to compelling action on the basis that it is owed. Uh, it touches on ideas of obligations and consent. What is owed to those affected by racism? How could these obligations have been incurred? Okay, so what you've just done there is split out the should you share hashtag Blackout Tuesday question into the moral issues of do the motives matter to the moral worth of your actions? And... Mm-hmm do you have an obligation in this context to be anti-racist? And how do you acquire that obligation if you believe that you have acquired it? So let's take a look at the relevant moral philosophy that relates to the issues that Ant's just introduced for us. We'll cover those two issues specifically. I also want to introduce just before that, the thoughts of Martin Luther King on the question of fighting racism. So Martin Luther King Jr. was an African-American minister and activist. He became the most visible spokesperson and leader in the civil rights movement. I'm pretty sure you'll all be familiar. Even if you're not super familiar with the life and works of Martin Luther King, you've almost definitely heard his epic speech, which began, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. In particular, in the last year of his life, Martin Luther King pointed to a really interesting phenomenon, which he called the comfortable vanity of Americans who saw themselves as friends of racial progress, but were unwilling to take the necessary substantial steps to close the gaps incurred by racism. And he was calling out his allies in this case, as well as, you know, his, his, his enemies, people he disagreed with. He said, we don't need allies who are more devoted to order than to justice. And he was very much a man who lived up to his word. He was arrested nearly 30 times while engaged in direct action protests. 
And his whole thing was that disruption is necessary to upset the comfortable stasis of inequality. So I guess for Martin Luther King, the message seems to be that actions speak louder than words. And this comfortable vanity could alternatively be called passive civility. In the context of Blackout Tuesday, you have to ask, is sharing Blackout Tuesday just an example of that? Would you be spreading the Blackout Tuesday message if it weren't a viral trend? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting because it could fall in one of two camps, right? You could either describe it as comfortable vanity, i.e. like an easy get out to say you're supporting it without really doing much. Or you could say the other way around that it's an example of pursuing justice over order, right? Mm. We'll kind of come to whether we think that the actions are sufficient to fall in one category or the other. But yeah, certainly the point of his words, it seems to be something along the lines of you are compelled to action if you are truly fighting racism. So on that point, let's think, think a little bit about obligations, right? Because as we said, um, you know, perhaps you have an obligation to do this. Generally in philosophy, there, there are a couple types of obligations that most philosophers are very comfortable accepting. Those would be your natural duties and, and some sort of voluntary duties. Very broadly, the natural duties would be uh, basically human rights, whereby it is, it's universal rules of being human, right? So those are just things that you have to adhere to by virtue of being a person. And then the next ones, those, those voluntary ones, would be ones that uh, you incur through your own moral agency. Generally, super simplistically, we would think of the voluntary ones as consent-based. We think basically the duties that I have are the ones that I have promised to people. I think it's really important that we actually clarify that consent is not sufficient, sometimes not even necessary to form duties through your moral agency. Uh, but the point is that they are a result of your action. They are not kind of bestowed upon you just by virtue of birth. So let's think of, you know, for a second, let's think about those voluntary ones. Can we think of examples where you might not need consent to form an obligation? If you're at a friend's house uh, and you accidentally broke their favorite mug, you may consider yourself obliged to replace that mug. Fair? Yeah, you still owe me that mug, actually, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the point is that is a that is a duty that is although not necessarily by by virtue of consent in that case it's by virtue of fairness it is actually a result of my moral agency of my my own actions within the world you know the, the set of things for which I am responsible in in philosophy some people debate about whether there may be a third type of duty and I think I think there's some intuitive reasons as to why that may be the case this would be a type of duty that is not a result of our moral agency as in nothing to do with with anything we've done and are given just by virtue of our birth like natural duties, but are not universal. So you may struggle to immediately imagine what these might be, but to give some examples, you may argue that we have a duty to our family. Uh, you may argue that we have a duty to our countrymen. There are some groups who may try and argue that there is some sort of, particularly in the case of countrymen, there is some sort of like tacit consent in the form that you are participating in some activities within the country. But we can kind of think of examples where we start to kind of struggle with that. So a really interesting example that kind of it shows your duty to family would be if you saw two people drowning and one of them was your mother and one of them wasn't. Most people would say that you have a special duty to prioritize saving your mother over the random person. Certainly, I think people would find you pretty weird if you, if you, <laughs> if you, opted, if you opted for the other person and argued I was equally obliged between them to save the random person as opposed to my mother. So some, some people will try and argue that on a, on a basis of fairness, as we said earlier, actually the duty that you have to your mother is a voluntary one, right? Sure. But what if, for example, this is a little more controversial, but what if, for example, the mother wasn't a great mother, was, was even perhaps a negligent mother? I think there is some potential that even in that circumstance, people would actually say 
you have a duty to the mother over the stranger. So, so we'd say there's some there's genuinely some sort of special duty to the mother, and it's not on the basis of fairness. Uh, it's purely on the basis that you are born into this connection with them. Uh, you could say similar things about friends, perhaps. And you know, if we think about the way that we take care of people within our country versus people born a hundred meters on the other side of the border. And, you know, that's really stark in some places like America, Mexico. It's actually like we may struggle to justify that unless we say or accept that there is some special obligation to some groups that we don't have to others. This is how you might say that, for example, Germans in post-Nazi Germany have a special obligation to Jews. Well, this could be how you could say that. But on the other hand, people who say that these forms of duties don't exist could argue that it's purely on the basis of fairness. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it, it's some sort of result of moral agency, some sort of benefit that you receive. Um, so I think the question is, one, does this obligation exist in the case of racism? And then two, is this obligation a result of some sort of benefit or voluntary, you know, i.e. a result of our moral agency? Or is it some sort of pure special obligation that exists? So then the other part was just relating to that first question that we mentioned in the in the build-up, which was the relationship between motives of our actions and the moral worth of our actions. So we'll give a quick summary of what we talked about in our last episode. Uh, hashtag listen to episode two. Um, <laughs> really, trying to, really trying to make it happen. Stop um, trying really, to make it, fetch it, happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, so I think there's three main uh, moral frameworks that we'll think about, and they connect right and wrong in different ways. We'll start with virtue ethics. So virtue ethics basically says that the rightness of actions is, you know, to the extent that they're in keeping with virtues that we deem to be good. I think on that basis, you can just pretty off the bat just say, well, if you're doing something for the wrong reasons, then clearly by this framework, it's not the right thing to do mm -hmm. um, because the reasons are important. It's supposed to be in keeping with the virtue. Next, consequentialists. So um, consequentialists will say that consequences entirely determine the rightness or wrongness of actions. You can either use some sort of normative conception that you have of what's good and bad to do that weighing up. That's, that's the case of virtue ethics. In the case of something like utilitarianism, you're just weighing up uh, pleasure and pain. So you're not applying judgment on what's good or bad. Mm -hmm. Under this circumstance, they really struggle to explain uh, obligations, first of all. But also, they really seem to allow people to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Because as long as it maximizes utility, it's the right thing. It's not about why. Finally, let's think about deontologists, Kant. Uh, Kant is a very famous German philosopher who is a big proponent. Deontologists are basically rule-based. So the decisions aren't about uh, achieving some end. The decisions are ends in themselves. Importantly for Kant, the reason to follow the rule is acknowledgement of the fact that it is your duty to follow the rule, not to be compelled by some second-order motive, whether that motive is good or bad normatively. His whole raison d'etre is to try and define your obligations, your moral obligations, you know, what's right and wrong without giving a normative view of what's good and bad. So in his eyes, doing the right thing for the wrong reasons is wrong, but doing the right thing for, for good reasons uh, is also wrong. The only reason to do something is acceptance of your duty to do that thing. Giving to charity because it feels good or, you know, uh, is not the right thing. The only morally justifiable reason to give to charity is acceptance of the moral duty to help others. Cool. Okay. Thanks. So that gives us some good philosophical frameworks with which to weigh up this argument. Now, at this point in the episode, let's let's get into the debate. And we thought we'd do something a little bit different on this podcast. We thought it would be fun for us to actively take 
one side and the other and have it out as a proper debate rather than have us just kind of like talk through the argument in the same format as before. So this is a test run. Let's see how this goes. So I'm going to argue the side of why you should share hashtag Blackout Tuesday or should have shared it. And essentially, I have two arguments. My first is that you have an obligation to be anti-racist and the request to share hashtag Blackout Tuesday reasonably falls within this obligation. My second argument is, even if you don't have the obligation, we can forget about obligations. The act of sharing net does good and therefore it's the right thing to do. So, so that first argument would be the deontological uh, argument or, or a, perhaps a virtue ethics based argument, right? Sure. Um, and then that last one that we described is basically consequentialist. Uh, and it's just about weighing up the pros and cons. For my part, I'm at. I'm going to argue why you shouldn't share. My arguments are essentially the opposite. First of all, on what basis could you say that there isn't an obligation to be anti-racist? And even if there is some obligation to be anti-racist, to what extent could you say that this specific action doesn't fall within that obligation? And then setting, setting the question of obligations aside, you could argue that even if there is some merit to it, it net doesn't actually do good to share this. So that first argument is kind of deontological and that second one is consequential. Cool. Now, obligations are a big theme in both our arguments. So I think we need to talk about that quickly before we talk specifically about Blackout Tuesday. The question around obligations is, do you have a duty to be anti-racist? So why might you have an obligation to be anti-racist? What do you think, Ant? So I actually personally find the most compelling reason is, is on a basis of, of fairness. So in the case of racism, there has been, uh, and that's both um, explicit, like slavery period, but also kind of institutional racism, there has been clear benefit to groups. So in the same way that you can form a political obligation because of the benefit that you get from the community that you're a part of, you can have an obligation to rectify a benefit that you've been basically extracting from other people. So to give a really clear example, if you're the first generation after slave owners uh, and you live in a huge house because your parents ran a plantation, then obviously you've benefited. And in that case, to, to not be advocating to bring back slave ownership is not sufficient, right? Like you, you, you clearly have an obligation, I would say, to help the people who have basically been the basis for you amassing wealth. And, you know, I know that now there's a, it's really obfuscated from that really clear example, but in essence, you know, that's, if we start from that starting point, that's a hugely disadvantageous starting point um, mm. that was to the benefit of someone else. But then even, even around that, structures start to form that benefit people. People say like affirmative action is unfair, but so is the bias that means that they've been getting easier access to universities and credit, et cetera, for, for ages. I know you mentioned that the effects are kind of obfuscated the further away from it you get. And I mean, there's presumably some kind of limit as to how far back in history you can look. But there's also an argument to be had that the effects kind of compound over time, right? Yeah. Like the disparity yes. just gets worse and worse the longer you leave it before you do something about it. You had a really nice analogy about debt and deficit. Do you want to give us that? Yes, yes. So I think the distinction between being racist, not being racist, and being anti-racist is well encapsulated by the opinions of debt. So for those who aren't familiar, a deficit is the extent to which you are increasing your debt, right? And we see often in, um, for example, modern politics, because those countries are in debt, they're saying we need to bring down the deficit. So to say that you're not racist would be akin to saying 
we should bring down the deficit, i.e. we shouldn't continue adding to this. Mm -hmm. But to be anti-racist would say, no, we need to clear the cumulative add up of this issue that we've had over time, i.e. we should actually clear our debt, right? And that takes a period of surplus. So by analogy, you're saying it's not about just stopping things getting worse. You actually have to proactively make them better. You need to clear the cumulative debt that you've built. Okay. And just to argue the other side, why might you not have an obligation? I guess there's a couple of ways that you can look at this. The first thing you could say is that special obligations aren't really a class of obligations that you believe in. Racism Mm. itself isn't encapsulated by the set of natural universal obligations. And therefore, it's an obligation that you have to opt into to be anti-racist. It's not something you can be compelled to be. You have to consent to it either actively or tacitly. There's also that big strand of argument that you can't mm. apologize for, for a crime that you didn't commit. So that's, that's one theme. And I guess the other theme to say that you don't have this obligation would just be to contend with that dichotomy that actually being not racist is clearly not the same as being racist, i.e. X can't equal not X that you know there is that third option really sits in a murky territory right but i do actually sympathize with the cases of germans and and jews where then do you come down on this first of all do you think you have an obligation and then secondly do you think it's a voluntary obligation or do you think it's a, a member of a set of special obligations which do not require consent you do have by by virtue of birth it's a tricky one, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a really gray area. I personally, I'm a fan of the racist, anti-racist dichotomy. I feel, I suppose, in that way that sometimes moral reasoning just kind of takes you to a point where you have to kind of base things on gut feel. I feel like we do have that obligation. I think your debt deficit and fairness points, I probably find the most persuasive when we're, when we're looking at this issue. So I guess for me, I'd come down on the side of you do have an obligation I think if you if you want to believe in special obligations, then I think it falls neatly into that category. And I'm I'm happy to buy into that. But if you want to discard them as a concept, I mm. think you can make the case based on fairness. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it could fit into both classes, right? Because this is a special case where a wrong has been done and a clear measurable benefit has been extracted, right? Yeah, I think between us, we're happy to conclude that we do have the duty, but we can we can put that to one side because as we argue the rest of the the debate around Blackout Tuesday, you can assume or not assume it. So well, I'm going to take the side of why you should share or should have shared Blackout Tuesday. So the first argument I'd make for why you should share this is that you do have an obligation to be anti-racist. We've talked about that already. Let's take that as an assumption. I'd say that the request to share this post reasonably falls within the scope of being anti-racist. Even, okay, let's say it's not the obligation to be anti-racist specifically. You could argue that there are other duties that we have showing respect to people regardless of creed or color, trying to make the world a fairer place, helping people. You can look at it from the framework of any of those duties and say that actually sharing this post is a reasonable fulfillment of those duties. There's not a bad analogy here with voting. Obviously, the impact of one vote is small, but the impact of democracy as a whole is really big. And sure, me sharing one post is going to have a relatively small impact, but the impact of the movement of everyone sharing it and news feeds being filled with black squares, that's actually quite powerful. And then the second strand of argument, as I mentioned before, was you can forget about obligations and look at this purely from a consequentialist point of view. And you can say that sharing hashtag Blackout Tuesday does net good. And, and let's just look at this. So firstly, 
there's the argument that sharing the post spreads awareness of the issue of anti-racism. As a quick fact, and I'm sure it grew larger than this, but on the 3rd of June, so the day after, a stat said that it was shared over 24 million times. This is a great way of demonstrating support for the issue of Black Lives Matter. And it, it, it all comes together as a good display of solidarity. And if you want to look at this just from the consequentialist point of view, you're doing a kind of cost-benefit analysis there. Another point to make is that the cost is really low. So it's a really minimal effort thing to share this post. It might make you feel good. It signals a positive virtue. Again, we've talked about spreading awareness. So there's a lot of good that comes out of a very simple action. There's almost no reason not to do it. Well, isn't there, Jacob? Well, let me, let me, let me try, try and challenge you there, okay? So it's minimal cost and it does good. So, so you should be compelled to share by that consequentialist argument. I'll come back to the duty-based one in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you care about starving children in Africa? No. <laughs> Let me do that seriously. Yeah, of course. Um, how often do you share posts about them? Not very often, I have to admit. Yeah, but Jake, you do realize that you'd be spreading awareness at a very minimal cost. Mm-hmm. In fact, you could, you could schedule a post to be, out, to be put out every minute on your social media channels towards some good cause that you, know, you care about. You could take that to that logical conclusion, yes. Or you could argue that actually to utilize your social media in that way actually would, would basically make it redundant. How do you rationalize where's the point where you should post and where's the point where it's not the right venue or, or it becomes too much or it dilutes your message? Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think if you say that you're compelled to do this, my question is why are you not sharing any other posts? I think the only reasonable counter to that would just be that, yeah, I guess there's a saturation point at which people just start blocking me because I become annoying. <laughs> so if yeah. I, if I want to be yeah. most effective. Or, I mean, maybe alternatively, you could say that like, there's some sort of special timing that means that like, this post is more effect- like, significantly more effectual than randomly posting about other causes you care about would be. But you know, then I'm going to flip that consequentialist argument because the, the consequentialist argument is the one that really is just about balancing sides, right? So that's mm. an interesting one to flip. I think it's interesting because this is, and by and large, my opinion is that social media is vapid. Mm. Um, actually, you know, and we saw this in the case of political votes, the people who follow us are people who agree with us. So are you, if we are screaming an opinion that all of our followers agree with into an echo chamber, is that really affecting change? And then the other thing is that actually it's giving companies an easy out to try and hijack this and try and basically get their profit motive kind of slipped in and make as much money as possible. Echo chamber is quite a powerful phrase there. And I think definitely in the case of social media, it's a relevant one. So what you're essentially saying is that it becomes a kind of lip service, right? The actual benefit of doing this is very small. And then actually, yeah, I think kind of on the basis of lip service, why lip service is particularly bad. Um, first of all, from a moral perspective, as, as Kant would say, it's, it's doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. So it could be. So if you're saying it because it's popular, you're saying it because you want to make money, etc. cetera, uh, it doesn't actually like position you to effectively help the cause. But I think the other thing is that from a practical perspective, it takes steam out of a movement, right? It, it, it gives people a chance to find a way to placate themselves and feel good about what they're doing without actually having done very much that was positive. Hold on a second. Then. What, what do you mean when you say it takes steam out of the issue? Most people would argue that sharing something is building momentum rather than losing it. So I think there's, there's an amount of energy people are willing to put in that's commensurate with how much they care about something, right? And when you give people a chance to, to have an easy out, so, you know, to share something on social media, on the one hand, that's good because there's a bunch of people for whom that's like a branch low enough that they're willing to, to, to grab to it and you know, do something as opposed to nothing. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it gives people 
the ability to kind of wring their hands on the matter and say, I've done something good about it. Like, you know, that, that, that's my bit done. And if you don't make sure that that momentum is maximized in an effective way, you can essentially waste it. So to give an example, I've spoken about you a bunch of times, uh, clap for carers. In the UK, we had a thing where people go out on Thursdays and clap for, for the NHS. It wasn't a government program, but the government kind of endorsed it. And I thought that that was actually totally shameful, considering that the government chronically underfunds the NHS. Um, but aside from that, it gave people this outlet to feel like they were doing something whilst actually doing very little. And we could have used that momentum to do so much more effective stuff, like fight for more reasonable wages for people in those positions. And instead, we allowed people to go out and, and feel satisfied that they'd clap. If we'd got people to sign a petition instead that raised medical worker salaries and created a more lasting change, that would have been a much better use of the energy, is essentially what you're saying? Something to that effect. But that is you know, predicated on the assumption that it's reasonable to say that there's a finite amount of energy people are willing to put into certain causes, which I think I, is, is fair. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that. I think people definitely have finite willpower on any given day. And you certainly don't want people to feel that, cool, I've done my bit when all they've done is share something on Instagram. I suppose the only counter argument I can come up with to that would be that these actions aren't mutually exclusive by sharing hashtag Blackout Tuesday. It doesn't preclude you from also signing petitions mm. or also going out and protesting. But what is quite a telling fact to, to argue against myself for a second is that although the Blackout Tuesday tag was posted over 24 million times, a petition, Justice for George Floyd, was only signed less than 12 million times. Again, that's back on the date of June the 3rd that this sample was taken. So those numbers may have changed since, but I think that does perhaps provide some evidence for what you're saying about if we're going to harness momentum, let's harness it at least in the right direction. It's a fair point. I think the other thing is that when we think about like doing... This is, you know, let's go back to the to whether the consequentialist argument is even is even fair. Like, I think motives do matter to people's actions. To give an example, if you work for a celebrity or a company, I I'm actually willing to stake quite a lot of money that there have been conversations along the lines of, oh yeah, we should definitely do this thing. Uh, it's good for our brand. You know, it it'll build our audience. You know, something that basically is pointing at the fact that they're valuing the wrong thing here. And you know, you might hear that and be like, oh, that's you know, it's kind of morally gross, but mm. you know in a consequentialist argument, that's justified. And that feels wrong. Yeah, you can definitely see that people could come at this from the point of view that, you know what, if this campaign net does good and we're, we're benefiting while promoting it, then we're somehow justified. But I see exactly what you're saying when you're saying that something feels a little bit morally missing to suggest that you can kind of jump on an issue and use it to extract benefit for yourself. Yeah, this is the exact reason why people run marathons for charity, right? Because the whole point, I think, is, is to basically say, I'm going to suffer in order to give penance for the fact that I am doing something that I can overtly feel proud of or feel good about. And that's to kind of show you that I care about this issue, not that I care about the kind of glory of raising money or, or feeling good about giving it to people. It, it's almost to kind of counterbalance that. It, it's really an appeal to that kind of Kantian idea of, of duties. I think, I think as well from a, another practical perspective, and this was, this was literally one that happened, uh, members of the Black Lives Matter movement pointed out that these, these black squares were literally crowding out useful information that related to Black Lives Matter. They asked people, please don't use the hashtag Black Lives Matter because it's crowding out things that were posted. And actually on that point, I personally, I feel struggling on this argument around like consequences and doing the right thing. Part of the reason I think that it's dangerous is that, and this could even be from a midterm utilitarian perspective, 
if we allow people to do things which coincidentally have the right outcome, and I say that because you could be acting with the intention of making profit or maximizing your profile, and it happens to, to be good. So, you know, you could be a company who's like, oh, like, we should do this because it makes us look good and endears us to, to users, right? When you tell companies that it's okay to do that, what happens when the profit motive doesn't coincidentally align with what's right? There's one counter argument I can think of to that, but I'll admit I don't feel this is a particularly strong one, which is that if you've got a world in which everyone is just paying lip service to meaningful issues and they're just pretending not to be racist for the sake of paying lip service to the issue, at least you end up in a world where racist views are shamed and suppressed. And over time, that actually affects the process of altering people's views sufficiently that they uh, <laughs> they sort of go out of fashion. Um, but it's a, bit, it's a bit sad because it's, it's a view of the world that's basically saying the majority of people are sheeple, you know, because whatever they're following the crowd, at least everyone's doing the right thing. That... <laughs> you agree but with that? I, I, I do. And I think you make the point quite well, which is that, sure, it's all well and good when, when at least it's a good cause that they're getting behind. But what if, what if it's not a good cause? You know, it's, it's not hard to think that a profit motive could align with a bad cause. And actually, then you've got companies jumping on a really negative bandwagon and building social momentum towards something that we don't want. And, you know, this is, this is how stuff gets really bad. To be fair, that probably exists. We probably just are on the other side of that divide and don't see it because we're not interested in those companies. Okay, well, I think we've, we've, we've tackled a lot of the points to be made on either side. It's maybe not a bad time to, to come down in the conclusion. Before we do, did you share hashtag Blackout Tuesday? Okay, so I did not share it. One thing that I thought was interesting was that whilst I agree with the obligation to be anti-racist, I thought a lot of the, the kind of ways that people were obligating people to do it were almost acting as if there was kind of a monopoly on truth or rightness, which I didn't appreciate. But mostly I just thought that it was fairly vapid to shout into my little echo chamber like everyone who follows me on instagram agrees with me i, I don't think it would have, have changed anyone's opinion and to clarify i i have shared posts that i thought were interesting relevant informative helpful such as there was one about the nypd where it was like the amount that they're spending you know fighting suits every year is enough to provide free bus transport for everyone that's a post i shared wow um, did you share it no for my part i didn't either the main reason for that is that i don't have instagram <laughs> But I think even if I did, well, mostly it's that I really don't like social media. I'm not a big fan. This is something, this is a view that you'll become familiar with over future podcast listeners. And I think even though, do you know, in, in the process of researching this topic and coming up with arguments in favor of why you should share, I began to convince myself more and more that sharing wasn't a bad thing. You know, at worst, I think it was a neutral thing, but I do think I really buy into the argument that you made around uh, social momentum, the momentum for positive change. I think sharing a black square at the end of the day, it's a nice awareness campaign, great PR, but you know, what's, what's really changed at the end of it. Perhaps a lot of people have taken time to, to look into issues, become better informed. And that's, that's a well and good awareness. Awareness is not a bad thing. I definitely but it's think not the only way to spread awareness, right? Like I said, I shared posts that I thought were helpful. Exactly. It's not the only way to spread awareness and there are just, I think, better ways that you could harness people's energies that would affect more real change. Outside of social media, like go and actually do something. Donate some money. Like I, I, I donate money to, to causes that I care about, but don't post about it on social media. I now broadcast it on this podcast, apparently. But, <laughs> you know, I, 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 there are many things that's a net benefit to technically post on because it's such a low cost. 
but it's also actually a better use of my time and resources to actually go and do something, donate some money to it. So that's what I do. I pick some causes I care about and I set up recurring payments. There's none of this issue of like, is this person doing it for a profit motive? Why are they virtue signaling? Why are they messaging about it on Instagram? I'm just doing it. Like I'm not looking for the... But now you guys better all tell me I'm a good person because I, I donate money. To <laughs> yeah, I think social media is very guilty of, as you say, it just becomes a question of virtue signaling. And it's, it's a strange environment. I think, as you say, there are, there are things that you could do that are more effective, even if you want to take a really crude cost-benefit approach to deciding the moral worth of your actions. The fact that the cost is low isn't the only factor in, in making that analysis. It's, it's a really interesting question, this. Personally, I wouldn't judge strongly either way people who did or didn't share just because I didn't share. I do think a very interesting question that we tackled already was that obligation that you have around racism or anti-racism. And I think, especially in the process of researching this podcast, I've become more and more convinced that that is an obligation that does exist yeah. and that I'm, I'm sort of happy to acquire. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff here. Yeah, I'm also really interested in just a paradigm changer, like what if policing is the wrong way to think about things. I, I, saw, I saw a post and it was so interesting. It was like, nurses have to deal with belligerent, aggressive people all the time and never kill them and don't have guns. <laughs> and just this concept of like, think about drug users in Portugal. They decriminalized it, treated it as a health problem. And then it, it's just been so much more effective in actually dealing with them. You know, tons of research you can see on this. Like, what if actually, if we followed this, you know, defund approach in the US, I should clarify, where police are vastly overfunded you know, because they're like little militaries. What if we actually did follow that approach? I think that's really interesting. Well, I think I think that seems like a good place to to wrap up the debate. Mm. Just quickly before we end, let's have a look to what's coming up in future weeks. We haven't, you know, we haven't actually officially decided that, but some issues that we definitely want to cover are around companies taking moral positions and definitely also the ethics of lockdowns. And there's going to be plenty to get into there. As always, if you've got any opinions, comments, feedback, please get in touch with us. Ant checks our social media much better than I do, but <laughs> uh, leave us some comments and get in touch because uh, we do. We, we love reading what you guys are thinking and, and hearing from you. Yo. Thanks, guys, for listening. And uh, yeah, see you next time. See ya.